Hello, everybody, <laughs> and welcome to the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. My name is St. Thomas Aquinas. That's not true. I know, but well, it kind of is. Well, one of your names. But, uh, yeah, right? it is. I mean, it's my confirmation name. So um, yeah, you could say that. Uh, yeah. Well, today we're recording um, on the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas. And ah, it, patron saint. And so it turns into a solemnity for us, yo. That's right. And for all of you, because you're listeners, so you're default parishioners, right? <laughs> no, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. You, really, technically, we've been having a lot of arguments in the diocese about what constitutes a parishioner or not. Really? And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, in our, the diocese or in the in the in the what is it, it, this thing called? Deanery. Deanery. At our deanery meetings, but it's on the diocesan level. But there's not Ooh. really. It's not what I would really call um, um, a good conversation for a podcast. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, that is correct. Oh, it was too. You just said it was too easy. You guys, but guess what? what I did. What, what? I did do. What? I want to know. Oh, uh, I think I already know. I yeah, know where you're going. You, you know where I'm going with this? I think I have an idea. I, I don't know if you guys have ever gotten that moment where you're like, I want X. Like, and for me, that X trans, X equals saltwater aquarium. Your X's are really fun. <laughs> Every few months to see what that X is, dude. I love really technical our, hobbies. Some of our listeners might remember when the X happened to be a shortwave radio or a ham radio, dude. I have to get a ham ham radio. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah, that was, so I'm sure our listeners do. Dude, a motorcycle, it was at one point. Oh my gosh! And you managed to acquire all of these things. I don't know how. Well, I this is the thing is that Mainly I have people very give them gen- generous friends. Yeah, it's crazy. But this is the thing is I like hobbies, and so um, I like really technical hobbies. I feel like I'm a lifelong Boy Scout. I got my my ham radio merit badge. Now I'm going to get my you, my reef write? aquarium merit badge. Okay, these are metaphors. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Anyway, we have the fourth Sunday in ordinary time. <laughs> you better believe we do. And uh, we are so excited that so you're here. Excited. I didn't get to preach last week, but Deacon Marty like rocked it. Oh, I was out of town. Yeah. It's did bad. he? Did he rock it? Yeah, he rocked it. Deacon Marty is of such a holy man. He really is, and he. Do you know he's into the charismatic renewal? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's like charismatic. I can see it though. He's all about the Holy Spirit. I can see that. Yeah, me too. He's a good, we have a good deacon. Our first reading today comes from Deuteronomos, almost known as Deuteronomy. Yes. And that's uh, chapter 18, Mm -hmm. verses 15 to 20. You better believe it. Five verses up in here. That's the one. Those are the ones. Our responsorial psalm is coming from the book of Psalms. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Psalm 95, verses 1 through 2, 6 through 7, and 7 through 9. And our responsorial itself is verse 8. Oh, and then now our second reading oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. is the from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, mm. man. They didn't speak and, like that. And they are, they, uh, they, they are able to read from the chapter 7, the verse 32 to the 35. Are you Jamaican now? I am because I, I have a reef aquarium, so I have kind of, <laughs> you know. Well, Corinth was coastal. Hey. So that's something. Did they keep tropical fish? They probably just had them off the coast. I don't know if it's a tropical land, though. Do you have to have like what is are it the topics to diff- are the topics different than just the ocean? I don't actually know, dude. You and me both. <laughs> I mean, I know reefs- this is one of those weeks. I bet there's not many people shouting into there. Dude, that's awesome. I have a couple of shoutouts to give today. Well, we we should finish these readings real quick. Okay. Oh yeah, so first yeah, Corinthians yeah, that's right. We just said, and our gospel readings coming from Mark chapter one, verses twenty-one through twenty-eight. Oh, yeah. Okay, who are our shout-outs? 
I want to send a shout out to Kathy Summers, the sister of Chris Fowl. Oh, the Fowls. And uh, she is a loyal listener and then on the way to church. And she even makes her family listen of Tom and Kathy and Jack and Margaret and Matthew and Mary Grace and Augustine. I know some people who are confused when they get calls from Scott Fowl. Because oh. they think it, it's Scott Powell. It's confusing. Oh, that's so. I I feel a very close kinship with Scott Fowl and his family. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then then there's other people who are like get needing shout outs somewhere. Do you have known it? Do Do you know of anybody who else needs a shout out? Well, we have a private one that we're gonna do after the podcast. Yeah, there's a bunch of men on a retreat. What's up, <laughs> retreat men? We we got one for you. The retreat men. Retreat men. That sounds like a folk band. Dude, oh my gosh, I was oh, at- the Folksman. You remember It's a Mighty Wind or a Mighty Wind? Did I you watch that movie? I did, that? yeah. Okay, sorry. Anyway. Dude, um I there I was doing mass the other day and I got a mass intention yeah. for um um a guy named Kermit Winkleblank. <laughs> Kermit Winkleblank? Winkleblank. Kermit Winkleblank. Yeah, and I didn't anticipate it and it was like this mass <laughs> is being offered for Kermit Winkleblank. Black, black, winkle black. It was black. It wasn't even blank, dude. And the whole church, nobody was expecting it. And I was oh, so, no. it, and it was on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. So I was, uh, so it was like those super intense homilies and nobody could laugh. And oh. so the whole church was like on the edge of laughter the whole time. And then at the end, dude, but that's my new band name. Like I looked up Kermit Winkleblack. What if he's listening and he's like, uh, he died. I mean, it was is, for him. Oh. But I, th- what this, if his family's listening? Well, no, this is honoring him. This is like the best name ever. It but really I looked is. him up, and he he got he got second place in the thirty five millimeter thirty five millimeter thirty five meter um, freestyle in like nineteen fifty one. Really? In, in uh, wind in Winchester, New York, or something. Go Kermit. Yeah, what's up? So what up? Well, you guys. So today, let's just jump into some dudo. Let's jump into the Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy. Oh, man. That means second law, in case you're wanting to translate it. That's true. So uh, the narrative, the way the narrative's kind of been working here, we had, okay, so you got Israel, right? We've been introduced to Israel. Also known as Izzy. Izzy, Bean. I don't know why why I'm doing that. But they were enslaved in Egypt. We kind of know the story, right? God chooses a leader. He raises up Moses to be their leader. He um, works through Moses, through the hand of Moses, works a number of miracles, um, Israel is released from their captivity in Egypt. They are being formed now as a people after God's own heart because he wants this one group of people to be the light to the rest of the world, to go out and bring the rest of the nations back together. They are going to fail at it pretty miserably, and they start out pretty immediately. So they go out into the wilderness. They, they're freed from captivity in Egypt, and God gives them his first law, right, which we call the Ten Commandments. So it's plan A. Here is these things that I want you to do. They're pretty simple. They're intuitive. It doesn't take too much thought to figure out that these are good and and true. And you can find them actually pretty universally across cultures. Absolutely. Like the the Ten Commandments now, specifically as Revelation now, but in this case it is Revelation from God. And and there's an ability to work out some of it, you know, like, but. Yeah, but they they fail at that, right? And so immediately... Once when Moses was up on the mountain receiving these laws, they're actually simultaneously breaking them, right? As they're I'm I'm giving sound effects for everything that you're doing. I don't understand what the thank you was, but oh, the giving. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Hey, here's a trivia question. Who is the only person to break all Ten Commandments at the same time? Moses. How oh, when he broke the tablets. Get the out. first time, because he got him a first time. Oh, the first. And person. and everybody was like, eh. and he came down, and they were they were in a bad place. They were Let's in a bad place. Well, and, and fundamentally, what are they, what's the first commandment? 
Thou shalt not have no other god before thee. So, my a, lord. You used a double negative there, but, but know, you should I'm not sorry. have a, another god before me. And what are they doing in the golden calf? They're worshiping another god before God. So, I mean, they've, they've broken all of these, which is the situation that leads us to the book of Deuteronomy, which is, again, there was a first law. It was simple, it was intuitive. Yeah. It didn't take much thought to, you know, it was fairly universal. And then they fail at that, so they need more laws. And this is the nature of parenthood. I mean, it's how God works as a loving father. I mean, if your kids don't follow the sim- the, the free the freedoms you give them, then you have to imply more laws, right? Or you have, yes. to, you have to impose more laws. Mm-hmm. So that's what Deuteronomy is. It's the second law, and so it's going to go into all these different things. Deuteronomy is actually a really fascinating book. I love the book of Deuteronomy. I've said that multiple times. But the section that this particular passage comes in so so this is chapter 18 but from chapter 6 through chapter 28 really that whole section which is a long chunk of the book of deuteronomy it's one long commentary on the ten commandments themselves oh and he's going through all of the themes and he's, he's bringing these out and he's expanding and exploding this to show okay this is what this you obviously didn't get these ten commandments yeah so here's well they didn't they didn't hear that so here's what it means. Here's what they mean, right? So in, in fact, you know, chapter 6 through 11 is all just about one commandment. It's all about the first commandment alone. So, oh. But again, why is it doing that? Because we know that we need that. Because we're, and, and this isn't to point the finger just to Israel. We are all the kind of people that need that because we fail at these things. So where do we fall? Well, in chapter 18, what the book of Deuteronomy is doing is giving a commentary on the fourth commandment. So if you read the reading this week, what it says Hold is... On, mo- I, this is actually where I'm such a bad... I'm such a bad priest because sometimes sometimes people will come to confessional and they'll be like, Father, I broke the ninth commandment. And I'm like, I'm like doing math <laughs> over there. One, two, three, and I'm, and I'm, I'm like, shoot, is that, I think what, that's what coveting did, What did or you something. covet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but yeah. what's the fourth commandment? So the fourth commandment... Well, let, let's read this and let's see if we can infer it. Because, again, this is an expanded version of it. Moses well, spoke well, to well, all the people. Well... Saying, a prophet like me will the Lord your God. I, I want to read it just for those of you who are just listening so you have a little bit of context because then I think it makes more sense. Okay, contextualize it for a me. A prophet right. like, like me will the Lord your God raise up for you Moses. from among your kin. Yeah. Uh, like Moses, yeah. Um, from To him you will listen. And this is exactly what was requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of your assembly. That the Horeb is Mount Sinai when they were gathered at the mountain and when they fell and when they received the law. Um, when you said, let us not again hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, lest we die. And the Lord said to me, this was well said, which, which is an interesting thing for God to say. I will raise up for them a prophet like you to send among their kin. I will put my words into his mouth, and he shall tell them all that I command him, etc. And we can read on in a second. But but to put that in context, what, what Moses is referring to is if you remember back, I don't remember what the exact verse was. It was back in Exodus when Moses went up on the mountain originally when God was giving the Ten Commandments, have we talked about this before? When God was originally giving the Ten Commandments, they were being spoken from the mountain itself by the voice of God to all of the people gathered below. So God, so if you read the beginning of how God began to give his law, it was all in the second person singular. So he was speaking saying, you, Peter Musset, should have no other gods before me. You, Oh, um, Jen Lozier. There you are again. Ver- vers- ver- Should have da 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 da. Versus this, this, uh, the, uh, you the, all the, corporately. the plural, right? Which but, is, which is like y'all. But they were literally hearing the voice of God speaking this to each and every one of them individually. 
and they really did not like it. Yeah, their response was like, no, 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 no. So he sends Moses up there, and God says, I'll speak to you, and you will be the conduit of these things. So that's what this is referring to. And yeah. so, okay, well, that's how I'm going to operate. It, it, and it's it's not oh, my favorite book. <laughs> oh, my gosh, your book. Like, you should see this book. Like, literally just lo- it gave oh. up its spirit. It just broke <laughs> and fell everywhere. All of the pages. All of the pages. So this book that I happen to have in my, in my hands, it's called Deuteronomy and the Death of Moses. You see this here? Uh-uh. By a guy named Daniel T. Olson. This is wow. the best commentary I know of on the book of Deuteronomy. And, now, and now you have to put it, well, you can it back see together. How well, well used it is. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that the pages are all falling Daniel about. T. Olson? Daniel Olson. Daniel or De- Olson. Dennis Olson, rather. So Deuteronomy and the Death of Moses. It's just brilliant. It's the sensible reading of what the book of Deuteronomy is doing and, and how it fits. Anyway, that brings us back to what we're talking about. So um, what commandment? Are we talking about so god's going to send a prophet to raise up who you're supposed to listen to well what this is is actually an expansion on <laughs> everything's falling apart my mic is falling down anyway the fourth commandment is is you shall honor your mother and father okay enough okay. Right, we all get it the fourth commandment is to honor the mother and father your mother and father and so what deuteronomy is doing in chapter 16 through 18 really is talking about um parents and then other means of authority who we actually, who God has actually put there for our benefit and for our instruction. So it's going to talk about the kings, it's going to talk about priests, and it's going to talk about prophets. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so it's kind of beautiful, though. Our friendship? Yeah, that's beautiful, too. But here's the thing. we This is good. The fact that Deuteronomy is yes. expanding this commandment of honoring your mother and father, it, it you know, and I think it's because we're Americans and and. and we just have a very particular view on the world, but we've sort of been conditioned. I don't even know how to say this to hear. Okay. Say it plainly. Hierarchy. It's, it's better. It's better to get one to the head than six to the chest. And <laughs> say bleed, it, and bleed say it plainly. Now here's a very obscure metaphor, um, <laughs> but we have this sort of, uh, we're, we have this allergy to any sort of hierarchy or government. And if there is government, if there is hierarchy, it's automatically bad. We must rebel against it. Oh right? my gosh! I, so uh, you guys, this it, this was one of my favorite moments that I've had in a long time. We were in the deanery meeting for the Archdiocese of Denver, and we were we were talking about something. And I was like, "What is a deanery, really quick?" The deanery. Okay, so what happens is is each diocese is is broken up into regions, and then those regions have a group of priests that meet together, and that's called a deanery. So like Boulder, the Boulder, Colorado has the Boulder Deanery, and that's like includes Lafayette, Louisville, um, Erie, uh, all the all those Louisville. surrounding region. What what? And uh, and and it was awesome because we were in the meeting, and I was like, "You guys," I said, "Let's just embrace this," because I mean, we're a patriarchy here. Oh, I mean, boy. like this is a, this is a patriarchy, and oh, like boy. I just proclaimed it un- oh, unabashedly. Oh, that couldn't and, have gone well. And I will tell you, it's really funny. Hmm, no. the, here's the patriarchy, and. Everybody shrinked from my comment, like, oh dude, you can't say that. And I was like, I know, man. I was like, the truth is, is that the church is a patriarchy. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. I mean, and but, that's okay. It, well, I mean, if really, it, it's it's not like it's a, like we say patriarchy is as if it's some dirty word contemporary. We do. We say all those things like they're dirty. I mean, the fact that there are some patri- patriarchs who are bad, there are some priests who are bad, there's been popes who are bad, there are governments that are bad. 
but our default position is that therefore every one of those things must be bad. Yes. Rather than no, God actually uses these things for the good. And it, well, you know, remember Romans thirteen. It's a passage that everyone hates. Mm-hmm. It talks about obeying the government and and obeying the authorities that are over you. But what he's saying is not just to fall lockstep to whatever the government tells you to do. That's not what he means. He means whatever's happening, don't forget that it's actually within God's plans. He knows. Even if your priest is terrible or your bishop or or your government leader or whatever it is, God is aware of it. It's okay. He's in control. Don't flip out and pretend that God has no idea what's going on. It's yeah. all right. He's in control of this. Well, this is the thing is that I, I think that that's literally since I brought up Roe versus Wade before, I mm-hmm. think that there's a certain sense of the millennial, uh, the millennial generation that is um, feels betrayed by the institutions that surround them and and does it in an unabashed way because you see with our students they're looking in a certain sense for a tribal reality they're trying to identify with the tribe where do i fit do i fit in the um into the uh, fraternity system the sorority system do do i fit at st tom's am i in student government am i an art kid am i a loner a lone wolf like like they're looking for for their tribe because Whereas, like back in the World War II generation, there they like the problems were so big that they depended upon their leaders to actually be able to solve them because they recognized their their small things. Whereas now we live in this profoundly global generation where everybody's in touch with everybody, and there's this kind of expectation of a, of a pure democratization in in the lowest sense of democracy. Yeah. There's a high sense of democracy, but yeah. uh, uh, which is republic and this ability to know that, like, no, somebody's actually going to take up my cause and they right. will represent me. But right now, it's just like, no, nobody's to be trusted because right. because w- we know that a generation has unfortunately lost their lives. They're not totally. with us. Totally. And so I think that there's a deep spiritual sense of that in the world right yes. now. And it's and it's and it's a global reality. And that's why, like, right here where it's like, you know, we, we you, you talked about conditioning. Like, yeah. We, yeah, like, but as a result, then so many people are just conditioned to distrust. Oh, there's a church with a hierarchy and there's a pope. There's some old man in Rome that's telling us what, because I have this experience. Yes. If there's any sense of structure, it's just, got, it's got to be me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It's just, and that's not what God has established. It's yeah. just not. It's an us and Jesus. We're actually all in this together. We need one another. We actually need a structure. We need a framework for which we can approach this. And love God above all things in your neighbor as yourself. That like yeah. this is the thing is that, that that is his yoke. That is his yeah. how he summarizes everything. And so if it's just me and Jesus, it's a fundamental denial of fifty percent of what Jesus has summarized everything as. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And 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 that's where it's like the gospel comes incarnate, literally in the church. Yes. It comes and like that's where Dude, are we are we talking about Deuteronomy anymore? Yeah, we are, and this is where things get messy. So, having said all of this, Yo. things get a little weird. So, so again, chapter sixteen through eighteen is talking about how to view judges, how to view kings, how to view priests, right? Because, and you know, to some extent, they're all this sort of relatively secure and institutional basis of, of authority, right? Yep. The priests, we know who the priests are. We know who the judges are. We know who the kings are. Even though. There's bad priests and there's bad kings and there's bad judges and you know that this happens. Yep. But then there's sort of this wild card and this is where we get to it now. This this wild card other group which is called the prophets. And who are the prophets? Because they're not really they're not kings, there's not they're not a governmental structure. They're not the priests. They're sort of this wild card group and and you know, although prophets we, we believe are raised up by God, 
they're also, as Deuteronomy says here, they're chosen from your own people. And actually, grammatically, mm. it's really emphasized. It's emphatic in Hebrew that they're chosen from among you. They're one of you. They're not something else that God has imposed over you. They actually are you. But it goes on to sort of, and even after where it, um, here a little bit at the end, but then if you read on, it asks this question, well, okay, how do you know to trust a prophet? Because there's false prophets too. So how do you know? And this really comes to our question about this the idea of hierarchy, the idea of community, the idea of, of structure and all these things. How do you know? Because quite frankly, even though Romans 13 tells us to trust that God put the authority over us, what if the authority tells you to do something that's against your conscience? What if the priest does something that you know is actually wrong? What do you do? What if there's a prophet who's saying something that you know is actually false? What do you do with that? And I think it raises a really important question that, quite frankly, Deuteronomy doesn't fully answer. Mm. And I made this point a couple weeks ago. I am utterly and totally convinced that the Old Testament is meant to beg for the New Testament because yeah. it doesn't give us all the answers. It's not exhaustive. No. One of the things that it goes on to say, and I love this, it basically says, if you don't want to know if a prophet is is true or not, if you should listen to him, <laughs> find out if what he says comes true or not. So just wait it out, and we'll see. Wait, which is, which which is, is the is, worst advice ever. No, well, I mean, like, there's a <laughs> No, it's not the worst advice. Well, I mean, you, you look at these, like, radio prophets who are like, the end of the world is nigh. Right, And right. you're like, A, Jesus said, ain't nobody going to know that. Right, even the son of... Yeah. E- even the son of God don't know that. Yeah. You don't know nothing, brother. Yeah. And so, it, like, that's the thing is where, like, then you just watch and say, okay, is this in, in is this does this coordinate with reality or not? And that will yeah. actually be able to tell you. That's and I mean, because that's what, what that's what's happening with us right here. It also says if he speaks in the name of other gods, he's just going to die. So don't, <laughs> don't worry. That's how our passage ends. So it gives you some warnings here. Yeah, but it it doesn't spell it out for you, which is which is why. Oh, what do I say about this? I mean, you, you do see all these times in Israel's history where they are misled, where the people are misled, both both by kings and prophets and by priests as well, and all sorts of other people. Israel often listens to the the, the wrong people. Um, so again, this is the theme. This is sort of how the readings work. We have, I think, for me who's not easily satisfied by things, we have this deep question that's posed to our hearts in the first reading. Okay, God is going to raise up prophets. He's going to do it from among you because he he wants to give you tangible, physical, real, material things to look mm-hmm. to, not just to trust, oh, there's some God in the sky that I can't hear or see or fully understand, but I, I just trust he's there. Yes, we are asked of th- we are asked that, but God also gives us this structure, this church, this reality, this material world, because we're human beings and we need things that we can look at and, and see and taste and touch and smell. And he, he recognizes that and he's merciful with us. I was, I've been musing on the fact that we have bodies. Like, yeah. like, like the fact is, is a body makes you vulnerable. Yeah. We are located in space and time. If you decided to go like totally spider monkey on me right now, and to just start beating beating me senseless, like we'll probably edit that out of the podcast if I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I am vulnerable to you because I share the same space as you. I am vulnerable to you emotionally. I'm vulnerable to you spiritually. I'm vulnerable to you physically. Like, like we actually exist in that space, and that's where a prophet is. Like, it, it's this it's this reality that comes into our lives that ex- that that says. No, you remain vulnerable to be God, God because you are embodied. 
And God is going to actually express himself in that way. And you have to reverence that. And, and like, the truth is, is you received that body from your parents. And now we're going to, we're going to experience that. And that's where the Lord is saying like, no, everything points towards Christ. Yes. There's going to be a prophet that's going to be raised up for you. Who's going to really make this thing happen? Well, here's what's interesting is that. Jesus is the new Moses. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> no, breaking the punchline, bro. Well, thank you for for taking away my punchline. But hey, you're welcome. The way that this is established, if you read Deuteronomy 16 through 18 carefully, I mean, it talks about kings, it talks about judges, it talks about um, priests. Plural, all plural, <laughs> I, right? I really like the way you're emphasizing thank everything you. right now. <laughs> well, it's all plural, but then you get to chapter 18 and it talks about raising up a uh, prophet. Yeah. Which is weird because on one hand, yes, you do have a lot of other prophets. I mean, you're not going to say Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Hosea and all these guys are illegitimate. They are legitimate. Yep. But for some reason, Deuteronomy speaks in the in the singular tense. Which is what you were talking about last week that begs for this fulfillment. It does. It has to. So, it has to. So let us sing to the Lord, bro. Oh, you got to be kidding. What? Oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I thought was, you were talking to me, man. No, I was looking up something in this commentary, and it, the only answer it gave me is see, see page, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, back to the psalm, or onto the psalm. Onto the psalm. Now, this psalm, I think, again, as usual, sort of answers, not not in a linear way exactly, but, but it answers the question that the first reading asks. Well, how do you know if it's the prophet? How do you know if he's speaking the word? Well, does he die? Is he, is he dead? Well, then probably shouldn't listen to him. Is he, you know, is he wrong about whatever he said? You probably shouldn't listen to him. But on the deeper level, what Psalm 95 then answers, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. It, it implies that we will, there, there's something, and again, Romans brings this out too. It implies that there's something within us that is actually built to recognize the voice of God. That it's not this kind of, it's not this crapshoot, right? There's all these voices in our world, and we just have to kind of guess the right one, hope, hope that we're right. There, we have to trust that God designed us and built us in such a way that we actually are made to recognize when we hear his voice. So that Deuteronomy is not quite as bleak as it sounds. It's not just, well, I, I hope I made the right call. I hope I followed the right guy or yeah. girl. Yeah. But that there, there actually is something. And if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts because there is something in you that ought to recognize that. If so if you notice yourself recognizing that and your your body, you talked about the, the bodily or the material reality, yeah. if you recognize yourself actually responding to that, that needs to be considered. Now, we can deceive ourselves and we can be misled and we can deaden our consciousness and everything like that, but there is something built in us that is meant to recognize this. Yes. So because of that, I love how the psalm goes on, so come, let us sing joyfully to the Lord. Let us acclaim... The rock of our salvation. Let us come to his presence with thanksgiving. Sing joyfully psalms to him. Let us bow down and worship. Um, would that today you heard his voice. The last strove of this talks about all these different times, two stories from Exodus and Numbers, in which they don't hear the voice of the Lord. They harden their yeah. hearts to the Lord. And their fathers tempted me and they tested me, even though they had seen my works. Here's the thing. God's not going to leave us on our own. And when we sin... Sin is always a decision. And one of the things that used to confuse me when I was younger is I was so worried that I'd accidentally fall into sin. Sin is always a decision. God says here in the psalm, right, you knew my father's word. They knew his works. They knew what he was doing. Yeah. And yet they hardened their hearts. They made a choice. They made a decision to harden themselves. Don't do that. Number one, no, and, and it's interesting, this comes after Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy, if it's nothing else, 
is a book of catechesis. And the particular catechesis of Deuteronomy is one of storytelling and remembering. Hmm. If you, if there's I mean, the thing that's repeated more than anything in Deuteronomy, aside from the idea of the heart, which comes up on every page, yeah. is that if you want to get at the heart of what I'm asking you to do, remember where you've come from. Don't forget your story. Think of what your fathers did. Think of what your fathers failed to do. Remember, 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 remember. Because if you don't remember, then you're going to do it again. That is the catechesis that's at the heart of Deuteronomy, and that's what the psalm is reiterating, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the old saying, if you don't, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Have you heard the second part of that? And those who do know history are just doomed to watch everybody else repeat it. Does that make sense? It does. Is that, a, is that an adequate tie? Yeah. We, I say this every morning. Oh. Oh, well. This do is you the, harden your heart? Th- this is the invitatory. Do you harden your heart to it? Um, I mean, sometimes I oh, do. Oh, no. Yeah, we all Dude, do. Dude, I mean, that's, that's. I know, we all do. Dude, that's the hard part about living this faith is that we actually need to keep like going and say like, do not harden your hearts when it's in Mirabah and Massa. They challenged me and provoked me, <sighs> even though y'all are a bunch of uh, whatever. So, <laughs> so I want to know what you were gonna say. I don't want to know what I was gonna say. Uh, I don't either. I thought it sounded like jerks to me. Anyway, First Corinthians that takes us to the first, the second reading. The second reading of the Saint Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And as I think we talked about last week, we are in Second Corinthians. Uh, I'm sorry, we're in First Corinthians all the way until Lent this year, I believe, which is really not that far away. Which means we're debtors. Ooh, because what? we've been lent this. Oh, oh, seriously? Yeah, seriously, dude. That's how I roll. Yeah, seriously. I'm glad you owned it. Good job, <laughs> dude. All right, Alan, Who was there? Was somebody who wrote in and it said. Oh, you know what? I hated puns, but here's a new pun. Did you see that one? No. Was that recently? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Dude, do you even it. read our mail? Every day. You don't read nothing, Every. Dude. Are you kidding me? Do Seriously? You, do you read the mail? Half of it is the Pinterest ads because you signed us up and we never use it. <laughs> so many Pinterest ads. No, dude. Pinterest is the like worst. so annoying. And it, and it sends a notification to my phone, which uh, is very oh, funny terrible. to me. No, I read it. Seriously, I read our emails every day. I don't. I'm not always great about responding because there's a lot of stuff going on. But I read them every day. You guys, I read your emails. I don't always respond. I'm not very good at responding to things. Anyway, back to back to business. Business. So First Corinthians seven. We're we're really just continuing picking up where we left off, and the challenge really is to figure out how to how to tie this reading into the rest of the reading. So Paul's still talking about marriage, and I want to add an insight that we haven't talked about the last couple of weeks because we've been in this passage for a while. But he says this, brothers and sisters, I should like you to be free of anxieties. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord. Parthenon is the word for virgin. Um, No, it isn't Parthenon? Yeah, Parthenon. Parthenon. Isn't that like a it's a building. like a building yeah. where, where there's a bunch of like four ladies virgins are they virgins it's, it's called, called the parthenon, parthenon. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um an unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the lord it's an important distinction because earlier on in 1 Corinthians 7 he talked about unmarried women who might be widows or something like that oh, so he's giving two different pieces of advice is this like betula too no uh, no, no that that's that's not it okay no, not. never mind um so that she may be holy in body and spirit. A married woman, on the other hand, is anxious about the things of the world, as she may please her husband. I'm telling you this for your own benefit, not to impose a restraint on you, but for the sake of propriety and adherence to the Lord without distraction. Okay. 
this is where, once again, it sounds like Paul just hates marriage and is down on marriage and all this kind of stuff, which yeah. really does sound like that. Two things we have to keep in mind. Number one, those. Paul said very explicitly, what I'm about to say about marriage is my personal opinion and my advice. If you don't follow my advice, there is absolutely no sin. He said that very explicitly. Oh, that's Which is really... very important to keep in mind. He's like, yeah. you know what? I got an opinion on this. And so here's my opinion, because quite frankly, Paul's not married. And he says that. He's like, I understand this vocation that God has given me. I don't understand the other one. And so if you don't follow my advice, there's no sin. It's no big deal. This is just my thoughts on it, right? NBD. And and what he says at the end of the day, I mean, if you if you take our sort of preconceived notions about Paul's sexism and hating marriage and blah, blah, blah out of this, what is he saying? He's saying, look, marriage is actually really hard. Yes. Especially if you're a person striving for holiness, because you have a lot of things to worry about. You should worry about serving the Lord, but yes. you have to serve your spouse. Yes. And you know what? That's true. And I think it's good that he said that, because too many people— I was I, I'm working on something from for the Augustine Institute on marriage and and I was talking about this idea that you know I actually thought for a long I thought for a long time that when I first came back to my Catholic faith I was convinced that the only way I could re, I was zealous in my faith and I was convinced that the only way I could really serve God was to be a priest yes because that's the people who serve God the people who are become married I, you know you have a job and you have your family and and but if I really want to do ministry if I really want to evangelize you have to be a priest because that's the only way. And I sort of saw marriage as sort of this default position. Like, there's the call to the priesthood, and there's the call to being a sister or a nun. Yeah. And if you're not called to that, well, you might as well just get married. It's the default, right? It was Which really... is such an unholy way to view that. It's not a default. It is a call. I was in Mass, and I was, and for a second, I was giving communion, and there's there's a couple of guys who just are coming to Mass all the time. And I, and I was going to make a joke at the end of Mass. I was going to be like, and if you are a male that is unmarried and you're going oh to daily Mass, you are called to be a priest. That, that is, is what the... an old lady actually told me once. Yeah, and, and I was going to make that joke, but then I at the end of Mass today, and then, and then I thought to myself, that's not a funny <laughs> joke, actually. That actually messes with people's spirits. It messed me up. It really did mess because me up. Because it's just not true. that no. like You actually receive a call specifically. That is hard. And Paul's saying, look, this is, there's a particular, obviously the priesthood has its own challenges. Yes. But he's saying this, this one's really tough. Now, that's one piece, and yeah. that's good. There's another whole piece to this, and it's what he said at the beginning of this chapter. Verse 26. Read, read verse 26. Would you do that? I'm, I'm putting on teacher hat for a second. Uh, I consider, therefore, this good to be because the impending distress that is good for a man thus to be, are you, are reading, you bound to a wife? Do not seek Are release. Are you reading the interlinear Greek? No. Yes, I am. Okay. What it says in normal <laughs> Are you free from wife? English? Do not seek a wife. Stop but if it. you marry, okay. not have sinned, and if marries, the virgin, not <laughs> sinned, affliction, Stop but in it. the flesh will have such people I and you would spare. Seriously. Dude, come on. I no, like I like reading in the original language. Every, and everyone else loves hearing it. Um, <laughs> it makes it more poetic. It does. No, here's what it says. <laughs> I th <laughs> no, you're right. Everything you said is true. Whatever, dude. Let me paraphrase You don't that. believe me. Let me and the RSV Catholic Edition paraphrase <laughs> that for you. I think that in view of the impending distress, and that's you said that. You actually said that word. Did you catch that? I did. It is well for a person to remain as he, as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek marriage. If you marry, you don't sin. And if a virgin marries, she doesn't sin, et cetera, et cetera. 
everything that Paul says. Now, here's what people miss, because Paul gives this opinion. Again, he Hold states, on. What's that affliction, but in the flesh will have such people I and you would spare? <laughs> what's the B, B of 28? Uh, 28? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. You will have afflictions, and I would spare you from them. Okay. But here's what we're missing. Again, what does verse 28 say? What does everything that we're reading have to be read in light of? Everyone misses this. How does verse 28 or 26 begin? Paul says, everything I'm about to say has to be taken in view of or in light of what? What does verse 26 say? Marriage. No. I, I, I want to talk about marriage in light of. Just to answer your question. Well, I you can't said do it. it. It's sorry. important. Yeah. In light of the impending distress. Oh, you said that. I did say that. Now, what on earth is the impending distress? Well, for Paul and the Corinthians would be the, I don't know. Neither do we. Neither do I. Here's the key. We don't know. Is that the royal we? No. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it is. But here, this is an important point. This is not to downplay the role that sacred scripture plays in our lives, but it's, it's, it's a call to be honest with ourselves. We don't know exactly what the impending distress that the Corinthians are facing is. We just don't. We have to acknowledge, number one, that this is somebody else's mail that we're reading, right? The mm-hmm. letter is a letter written to a church that we are not a part of. Now, in the, in, the, in the providence of God, the Holy Spirit deigned that everything that is said in this letter to someone other than us yeah. is meant for our good and for our teaching and for our instruction and all that. It is. It's meant for you and me. Yep. But we don't know everything that's going on. I mean, right. the scriptures are a lifetime worth of a mind to be dug out and, and mined and, and dealt with. What is the impending distress? We don't know exactly. Um, but what Paul is basically saying, in a certain sense, should be read as kind of martial law. There is something happening. There's something going on. There is a distress. There is an impending disaster. Something that we need to read everything that Paul says in light of. Now, the word that shows up in Greek there for impending distress, mm-hmm. again, we don't know exactly what it is, but the word that he uses can sometimes be used to describe famines. It can sometimes be used to describe persecutions, both of which we know the city of Corinth is facing now or is about to face. There's going to be persecutions, and there was a worldwide famine that hit this part of the world around this time. Oh, And that word can mean to apply to both of them. Now, here, here's, the, here's the point. Again, Paul's not giving advice for, I know it's ordinary time, but so to speak, Paul's not giving advice for ordinary time. He's giving advice in view of whatever this impending distress that the Corinthians are facing is. Let's say it is persecution, which is really going to happen, which is really serious. Let's say it is a worldwide famine. I think all that Paul's actually saying here is, look, in view of this worldwide famine or in view of this huge persecution that the church is about to face, Mm -hmm. you might want to hold off on picking out your China patterns right now. Are you called? And think of what he said. Look at what he says in verse 26. Let's take this for real. What if there is a big persecution going? What if there is real danger? I think in view of the impending distress, it's well for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't take off. Don't look at the first thing he says. Are you married? Don't run if things get hard. If there's a famine, you can't feed your family. Don't take the coward's way out. Don't take off. If there's a persecution, you're being threatened. Don't run for your life. Stay put. You're a married man. Deal yeah. with it. If you're not bound to a wife, maybe this isn't the best time to plan your wedding because there's a worldwide famine going on. But he is quick to say, on the other hand, but if you do marry, it's not a sin. 
you don't sin. If you decide this is what God is calling you to, yep. he makes it very clear. You don't sin. But if you do choose to marry, you will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. I think, does that make any sense? I think it changes yeah, everything. Clear as mud. I and mean, what, absolutely. No, I, I, I'm does a yeah. joke, but like, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it gives um, a real latitude rather than the haters be hating kind of experience. It's not a, a haters experience. be Yeah, it's not a hate. Now, on a certain level, Paul just understands the experience of the celibate more than he does the married. And that's okay. And he acknowledges that. But on the other hand, we're, we're dealing with... Again, a very practical answer to the question of the first reading and the psalm. If you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. Yep. If you're in this congregation in Corinth, say, that you know you really desperately want to plan your wedding and you realize that, look, there's actual danger out there, maybe you should be patient for a little while. Maybe I should abstain for a time because maybe that's actually good advice. No, God's actually calling us to something else. We're supposed to do something else. What it's doing, and the reason that this weird historical situation from 2,000 years ago that seems to have nothing to do with us actually applies to us, is that we deal with stuff every day, and we have to take heart. We We have to keep in mind we have to weigh the merits of the voice of God that are coming from all sorts of different places in your life. When you and Father Brady sit down to do marriage prep with different couples, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you have to say to them and that you do say to them. And they really have to be honest about saying, okay, that, you know, that was an opinion. I don't know if I'm really agreeing with that. What, but he said that one thing, and I, that's something really moved me. About it. He said that thing about contraception or about not living together before we get married. Maybe we should actually listen to that. In view of what Father has actually said, in view of what's going on in the world, in view of scandal that could be caused, maybe even if we're not having sex, maybe we shouldn't live together. Yep. Maybe there's something to this. And really what First, second, what first Corinthians is doing and the way that it applies to any of these readings, which it seems like it has no application, but it's saying, look, you're going to be called by all sorts of voices in your life to do things that may or may not sound ridiculous. Are you going to harden your hearts when you hear the voice of the Lord speaking in your life? Because the world is in, there is plenty of impending distresses in our life right now. There's plenty of impending disasters. There's a lot of persecution. The world is a mess. So how are we going to live in light of that? This is what Paul said in our reading last week. Remember he said, "Live if you're married, live as though you're not married. If you're mourning, as though you're not mourning. And weeping, as though you're not weeping. He's not saying don't weep or don't be married. He's saying whatever you do, keep in mind that the world in its present form is really passing away. Yep. There is more than meets the eye. There's more to this universe, this cosmos, than what you see. More you talked about the idea of being more than meets the eye. You talked about being embodied. And yes, we are embodied, but there's more than just what our bodies can see. Absolutely. We're we're anticipating something, which yeah. leads us into the into this. Does gospel. that make sense? Yeah, it I, does. I don't need to go it off. Totally on a, does. Okay. No, it totally does because what happens is that we're we're looking at the into the gospel and we're saying like um like we can have this experience where good advice sometimes is totally contrary to our nature. Absolutely. And the experience is like the demon in Mark uh, here. So, I mean, basically what happens is Jesus goes into, goes into the synagogue. There's a demon. It says, what, and the demon cries out, says, what do you have you to do with us, Jesus? You're, are you, do you come here to destroy us? Yeah. And um, there's a certain sense in which we, we ourselves have that experience of Christ. Yes. Have you come here to destroy me? Like, don't you know that my salvation lies in X? And the Lord's like, you know what? I'm going to ask you to pause for right now. I'm going to ask you to not do this 
but our experience a lot of times of the discipline of God is that it's going to destroy us rather than actually lead us and set us free. And that's where St. Paul, like there, there's a time, there's a time to not actually go after a wife. Yeah. There's a time to be married. Or there's, there's a, a time, time just to be things. engaged and wait. Absolutely. Because I mean, uh, that's the other thing our culture wants to say. Oh, well, you're going to get married. Might as well, you know, shack up. You might as well do blank. No, there's a time to wait. There's a time to be patient. Yes. There, there's a call to that. It doesn't, even if you are called to be married, maybe you need to just be patient for a little while and abstain and, and whatever God's calling you to do. Uh, but we well, can't listen to those things. We don't want to hear that. But also people could just get obsessed with yeah. trying to have a relationship, yeah. which is just in the midst of this. And, and we think that, oh, I'm not getting what I want right now. What, if, what are you doing, Lord? Are you just here to destroy me? Yeah. You're not giving me everything that I want right now. Well, yeah. So here's why I'm... I, I you're, think you're getting I all hesitant because I, I mean, there's a lot of Lexio involved in this particular passage for me. Well, what has Christ come to do with that de- with those demons? Cast them out. So I mean, are they correct? They are, but I'm just saying that there, no, there's no. an experience in for the midst sure. of this that yes. So so reading it in in kind of a literal capacity rather than kind of yeah. an existential experience, which is what I'm trying to speak to, is saying like yeah, in the midst of our hearts, we we get disciplined and we're like I'm going to be yes. destroyed by the Lord. Now these guys are they coming here? They're, actually, they're not going to be destroyed. Here's what's because a, that that's well, what's that's what's turned. They're just being cast out. They're saying no. Yeah, you right. cannot possess my holy ones. Here's what's so fascinating about it, though. Again, you go back to the first reading, you go back to the psalm, psalm in particular, right? I, I keep going back to the psalm. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. What is this demon doing? What is this demon not doing? Well, He's doing something and he's not doing something. Put well, it in light of the, uh, of the psalm. Well, this if today is, you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Well, this is the thing. is A demon is somebody who has a naturally hardened heart. and Does he? But yeah, absolutely. It's a demon. A demon has a singular what experience. It, what can't... does it mean to heart? Oh, in this context, so for you and me, let, let, you're right on a certain level. I mean, you're thinking Thomistically. It's the, it's the feast day of Thomas Aquinas. I get, I get where you're going there. You're <laughs> yeah, thinking Thomistically in the nature of, of the angelic. I, I get it. But for us, in light of what we were just talking about, what okay. does it mean to harden our hearts? Let the natural consequence of sin have its effect in our life. That's That's hardening our hearts? Like, if I'm talking to you, if I'm in confession with you and you give me some advice and you real, the Lord really is speaking through you, what does it mean for me to harden my heart to that? Not listen. No, I'm not going to hear that. I don't want to hear Right? That's true. Talk to the hand. This demon. Talk to the elbow because the hand is hurt at all. Oh, boom. Boom. But this demon doesn't have the capacity to do that. He is what he is. He can't harden his heart in the sense of, I'm just not going to listen to it. God's voice is so powerful that he hears the Lord's voice and he responds. He recognizes who this is. Now, he can be angry. He can shout back. He can do whatever he wants well, he's, to. He's trying to do a counter exorcism. And actually. he does that. But there's no capacity of saying, I'm just not going to listen. La, 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 la. I don't hear what you're saying. He can't do that. Uh-huh. This is the voice of the Lord. And even the demons can't ignore that. Mm. We can actually do something that the demons can't do. The demons can't ignore the voice of God because it is so powerful and it is so, I don't want to say efficacious, but I mean, it it takes effect. We have this weird ability to pretend we don't hear or to close (laughs) our ears, right? You get the sense that this demon can't do that. Uh -uh. He hears the voice. 
Do you recognize him? His heart is really is hard in a certain sense. Which brings us back to the Exodus and this experience of them. They're like they. It said that the, those who heard the voice of the Lord in Hebrews begged that no further address be made to them. We don't want to hear it anymore. We please don't, don't speak to us please anymore. Please do not speak to us. Give us some like wow. king or somebody, some prophet. Ooh. And the Lord is like, this is this is the crazy thing is that the Lord listens. I got it. I, what did, keep, keep coming. Keep, keep bringing it. Oh, maybe we're on the same page. We are. Okay. Shoot. Well, you just do it then. No, 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 no. Well, what did you just say? They say, we don't want to hear your voice. So give us a king or a prophet instead. So what does God do? He sends his prophet. He becomes the king and prophet. The new Moses. He becomes that. They don't want to listen to him. So he actually becomes the thing that they're willing to listen to. That's profound. So he That's respects the their freedom, oh. but he also does what he was planning on doing in the first place. Mm. So yeah, okay, I won't speak to you directly. I'll send a king or a prophet. But guess what? The king or the prophet? It's going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. And it's the kind of thing that we, I, I, I hesitate to say it this way, but it's almost as though Mark is showing us, look, the demons see something. Even the demons see something that you guys don't see yet. <laughs> They recognize what's going. Even if your eyes are still blind, even if your hearts are hardened to this, they get what God is actually doing, and they're moved and they're struck. And he, to the yeah, he is trying to do a counter exorcism. I know who you are. What have you come to do? Destroy. I mean, there, you you almost get a sense of terror on this demon in this demon's voice. I know who you are. What are you doing here, dude? You know what's crazy is <coughs> I, I went into a restaurant the other day. It was in my, it was my day off. I was out with a friend and yeah. I didn't have my Roman collar on. Okay. And I walked in and here's this person who's like looking pretty like intense, like spikes, real real dark like. Okay. And stared me down. Oh. Like I can't even tell you. I wa- I sat down and I, you know, it's like you know when somebody's looking at you oh, and yeah. they just look at you. Oh yeah. This person was looking at me, oh, and boy. and it and and I actually don't take well to an uh, like a stare down challenge. <laughs> Does so I anybody? Just, well, so I just stared back. Nice. I just was like, I'm not breaking. Like, how? What do you think this is? But it was like that, where it was like they recognized in some capacity my profound configurement to Christ. Wow. Even without the dress, you know. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, I do wear a dress on occasion. The clothing, it's called a cassock. Yeah. <laughs> right, <yes. laughs> but gotcha. but the, the the clothing, whereas like the wow. and Mark is really pointing that out, and yes, it's like he is, and because Jesus has real authority, like dude, authority is the best, and that's where what ties us back into all of this is that like we say like where what is real authority because what what this generation asks for is authentic personal authority. It's not just because we're into the midst of the patriarchy that we're going to be able to have the authority or that just because we're America, then we're going to have the authority. No, you have to show up and I have to actually be able to register that you're a real leader. They need, they need real authentic presence. It needs to be unca- uh, incarnational anymore, especially in this age yes. of digital digitalization. Yeah. But we, what's the Missouri license plate? It says the, the show me state, right? You know yes, I mean? that, exactly. That, that is the way it would show me, prove it to me. Show which is, me. That's a good thing. Because I do think we went through a period in the church of what, what we sometimes call clericalism, where, well, he's the priest, so he knows better. And, and there is a deference that is due to the priesthood. But, you know, there were a lot of priests that sort of forfeited that deference, you know? They did some things they shouldn't have done. So now you have a culture that's like, no, show me, prove it to me. Yeah. Which is what the early church had to do. I mean, you are, you personally, Father Peter, me. are put in this position of, being like the early church. Show me. Prove it. What do you got? Yep. What is this thing that you're preaching? Show me. 
Yeah. It's not just taken for granted. Oh, he's a priest. We're just going to give him you know, the, the due respect. No, you got to kind of have to prove it, which is not an entirely unhealthy thing. And so people recognize here in the Gospel of Mark, yeah, this guy does have authority. He teaches, what is this? They don't get it yet. There's not the, the recognition of, oh, it's the Lord's voice, so we need to respond. But there is this human recognition. And this, this passage, in a certain sense, I think, proves what um, the psalm was getting at, that we do have something built into us that's made to recognize this. Yep. Holy cow, something's going on. I recognize there's something here. I love later on in Mark the story of, uh, of um, what's his face? The, the guy. Herod, King Herod, right? Who remember? Remember King Herod? He ends up beheading John the Baptist. Yeah. But there's that great story. He's like, but I'm really. He was really intrigued by him, and like yeah, he ends up taking the coward way. I could. Yeah. I can't stop listening. There's something about him. I just have to hear. Yes. That's such a profound example. Look, look there is something built into us. Yes. We want to hear the voice of God. We're not these little sheep that just will listen to anything. Right. But there is something in us that will, so we can do that to ourselves and we can do, become that. But there is something in us that's built to recognize the voice of God. Yes. And that our hearts want to be softened. We're not, we're not given an uphill battle here. We're actually given a downhill battle. It's not a, it's not a, an, it, we're not given a downward spiral, we're given an upward spiral. The more we can hear the voice of God, the easier it will be to hear the voice of God. The more we follow the words of Jesus, the easier it will be to hear them the next time. And that's yes. sort of the, you know, I, I call it the, I stole it from Tom Smith, but he calls it the upward spiral. That the more we do this, the easier it actually becomes mm. to hear him in the future. And, and the yeah. opposite can work too. The more than we, we harden ourselves and deaden our ears to that, the harder it gets to hear. But we always maintain yeah. that piece of us that wants to hear, that recognizes it. it's always there. We just have to unpack it and uncover it, which is which is very beautiful. We Even the demons hear it. We are made for you, O Lord. That's it. And our hearts will not rest until they rest in Lord. Thank you all for joining us. My goodness, Jesus came, and we are so happy that we can share him with you and that we get to participate in him and that we are bound together in the Lord. So keep uh, rocking the, the podcast and encourage all your friends to listen to this and we'll be back next week what what everybody <laughs> bye everybody bye the word on the hill is a production of the aquinas institute for catholic thought here in beautiful boulder colorado www.thomascenter.org you can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org see you next week